everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest and one of my favorite people in the world, Marquita Morris-Louis from Compass Working Capital. Hi, Marquita. How are you? And welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. I'm great. I'm really, really happy to be here with you. Thank you. Well, I'd be surprised if you're happier than I am, but thank you for that sentiment. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Uh, Marquita, you're one of my favorite people, and you've done so much amazing work in the nonprofit and impact world. So I'm going to try to tell the story as best as I can, but you've done so much. It will be very hard to do in a 20, 30-minute window, but we'll try our best. Uh, what would be great is kind of learn from you a little bit so our listeners can become a little bit more familiar, those that don't know. Can you share a little bit more in terms of your background and how you got to where you are today? Great. Thank you so much, Sean. And you are definitely one of my favorite people. And I'm excited to dig in to why and how we met and first connected some years ago. Um, so I am a North Philly girl born and raised, although I have spent time in other parts of our um, fair country and, and also other parts of the world. But I have Philly is my home and I've come back here and I never let go of my accent both uh, figuratively <laughs> and um, and literally. So um, my kind of life, I, I grew up in uh, federally subsidized housing. And so that is important because it shapes and impacts the work I do today. I As I got older and kind of understood the world better and why um, things were the way they were, I started to explore community development and understood how my neighborhood, my community um, was shaped and formed by national policy, um, far, far away from North Philly and West Poplar in, in particular. Um, my grandparents were originally from um, Mobile, Alabama, but were part of the great migration of African-Americans in the early part of the 20th century, making their way north, trying to leave and flee, frankly, the degradations of the South. And unfortunately, they didn't find the North to be much more hospitable, but they were able to make a way and build a family here. So that's absolutely a part of my legacy. And I think kind of, I try to draw connections and ties between my grandparents' lives, lives and the, you know, kind of struggles that they found in the South with our experience in the North as well. And why community development um, economic prosperity and financial inclusion have been such valuable parts of my personal life, but also my professional goals and career experience. So I've spent the last 20 years in housing, um, affordable housing, in um, policy development around housing affordability and um, housing finance. I also kind of work more from placemaking and the people, people support at a HUD certified housing counseling agency, helping families avoid foreclosure, thinking about the systems that make it difficult for families who are experiencing poverty to move ahead in their lives. And now my work at Compass is really focused on ending asset poverty. That means supporting families and building wealth, um, families with low incomes to build wealth as a pathway out of poverty. And we do that through high quality, culturally um, centered, financial coaching and integrate that with the asset building opportunity. We really truly see our work as helping to narrow the racial and gender wealth divides because the majority of the families we support are led by Black and or Latinx women um, and with children in those households. And a big part of our work is shape, shaping policy so we can create the conditions to allow families with low incomes to build assets. 
Thank you for sharing, Marquita. Such an incredible, impressive, just amazing story and getting into the greater detail with Compass and how you're driving impact, which is where I'd love to go next. I've had, you know, the luckiest opportunity in the world to be able to, you know, work with you for, for several years and help you, you know, with pursuing a lot of that opportunity as well, too. But the mission is so important. And that's kind of what I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about next in terms of the mission at Compass, what some of that means. And what does mm -hmm. it look like? You know, how do you define impact? And then we'll get into kind of how Compass is driving impact today. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited, Sean, to have this conversation with you about that because you've been part of our journey for almost the last three years, which is amazing. So, um, you know, I, it starts, our work starts from a, a very simple position that we all need assets in order to invest in our future and move our families forward. But unfortunately, many families with low incomes are living in asset poverty, which basically means they don't have enough assets to cover even three months of basic living expenses without income. So if you experience a disruption in income, you lose your job or your hours are reduced, most families, that kind of situation turns into a full-blown financial calamity. And, you know, savings is um, hard won and hot fought in America to begin with. There's all kinds of studies saying that 40% of Americans, you know, don't have access to $400 in case of an emergency. Um, and so we're definitely thinking about how can we change our society, change our economy so that families with low income can have access to these assets, which allow them to um, move out of poverty, think long term, dream, um, and set aspirations for their for their families. And oftentimes, folks think it requires some completely new and in an in an innovative way um, of working with these families. But we have the tools, right? We just haven't properly exploited the tools or allowed them to scale. And we also haven't explored the ways that our anti-poverty programs often discourage or penalize savings and create barriers from families, right? Um, and all of this is also part of like our historic and systemic um, policy challenges that have made it difficult for um, Black families in particular to build wealth. So one of the ways that we've been trying to work and expand the scope of our impact is through a particularly promising approach, which is an asset building model for a federal program through the Department of Housing and Urban Development called Family Self-Sufficiency. And Family Self-Sufficiency basically allows families who live in a, um, subsidized housing to convert rent payments into savings. And our real vision is that this kind of opportunity becomes the norm and not the exception. And our nation's um, delivery of federally subsidized housing, you kind of reimagining the safety net and what it could do for families um, and, and having a, safe, a social safety net that actually believes in and invests in people to break cycles of poverty rather than keep them in cycles of poverty. So that's how we're thinking about our work and we're thinking about our impact. For example, with the Family Self-Sufficiency Program, we estimate that there are about 2.2 million households nationally that could participate. Unfortunately, only about 65 to 75,000 who do. So that's around 3% of eligible households. And we're trying to do work both on the direct service, working directly with um, affordable housing providers. We're trying to do work through training and technical assistance, kind of leveraging our best practices and promising learning to support other housing providers to do that work. 
and in in a policy environment to change the conditions so that we close that gap between the 65,000 who are currently enrolled in this program and the 2.2 million who could and should be at the end of the day. And one of the models that we've been exploring is what if we change the default for enrollment, right? The way it works now, you have to live in a housing provider that's offering this program. You have to be aware of this program. You have to trust that it's true. When we tell families that, oh, if you enroll in this program and you, you know, just by paying your rent, um, you get to build savings, they think it's it's insane. They think it's way too good to be true. So, you know, you have to trust it, understand it, become aware of it, and then enroll. And then enrollment itself is its own process. We want to do away with all of that. We want to reimagine the system. Um, and we want to use the best of existing processes, right? And one of those is kind of a uh, an invention of behavioral economics. And we use it when it comes to employer-sponsored retirement programs. When folks go to work, they show up, they are automatically enrolled into their company's 401k. And most of the times, folks don't have to do anything. Just the simple act of being employed gives you access to the savings opportunity. You can opt out if you choose not to participate. But the default is that you're in until you say you're out. We want to apply that same model to this program, that if a family receives a voucher, a housing choice voucher um, from a housing authority, or they move into public housing or into privately owned affordable housing, we want them to have this asset account, this opportunity to build savings baked into the delivery of that housing. So there's nothing for them to do but to do the thing they're already doing. So again, these tools exist. We have to just be creative enough and innovative enough to activate them, um, to serve more people and to serve more people better. And then they leverage that service to really transform the way family interact with our social safety net. And just, you know, a little bit in terms of impact, we've been, we've kind of grown our programs from super modest um, 16 years ago, serving about 10 families to now serving 3,000 families. Um, we're working with a number of housing providers over seven states. We are helping families save on average $8,500 over just four years. Are we having helping families grow their um, earned income by um, $17,000? Our average family we work with starts at an income of around $21,000, $22,000. And one of the things we're really measuring, and I mentioned asset poverty, and it's not having three months of savings in order to basically meet your basic expenses or live at the federal poverty level for three months. For a family of three, and that's the average household size we serve, that's about $5,757. So $5,757 is the magic number. So we're helping families save on average $8,400, $8,500. We're moving them from being asset poor to asset secure. And that's one of the anchoring outcomes um, where we're trying to have a ton of impact helping families build their nest egg. So God forbid the next crisis, like the pandemic comes around, families are ready and have some savings that they can fall back on to support themselves and stay out of complete financial calamity. And just to put a finer point on, I think about, you know, if we had invested upfront in every family, particularly families with low incomes, having access to the savings opportunity, maybe our country wouldn't have had to invest so many resources in trying to roll out rental assistance and, and um, tax credits and other kind of 
um, reactive um, financial investments once the pandemic hit and it became clear that folks were losing jobs and opportunity. So that's why we um, are very much intent on having impact through asset building. And our work is really focused on ending asset poverty for families with low incomes. There's so much amazing content and in, in what you just said. I don't even know where to start. My head is spinning. <laughs> I have so many questions. And the first thing I want to, but the first thing I want to start off with is um, I've always been so impressed by your leadership, your vision, and the process as well, too, because you are in such a easy to understand, but articulate way. You eloquently describe what, what the biggest problem is standing in the way of reaching mm-hmm. the kind of scale and impact that you want to do. And Compass Working Capital, led by you and your amazing team, is always just provided such great examples of what it looks like to identify the biggest problem and to solve it in a big way. So I have to give you all the credit in the world. I love having conversations with anyone on your team because we're always thinking big, which is so exciting to be part of something so special. Uh, so I'd, I would love to hear more from you in terms of what you credit that yeah. culture or vision to in terms of doing this remarkable work. and you know, what other organizations can learn from you and your team, because I know not everyone is kind of at that level. I know Compass is always thinking big and has, you know, game-changing ideas that they're working on executing at any given time. Uh, But I would love to hear what you have in terms of your best advice for the other leaders out there who would Mm -hmm. like to create a similar type environment, right? Have the ability to explore these things and think really creatively, creatively, just like you did, right? Understanding that the program utilization is like severely underwhelming, right? But it creates these dramatic transformations for the people that need it most. And instead, flipping the model on its head to say, you know, essentially kind of like automatic enrollment through the most obvious and like easiest mechanisms in order to make that a reality. The transformation that can make at scale is just, it's almost overwhelming uh, the size and impact that that can have. So Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking and I'd love to hear more from you in terms of how, you know, where this inspiration comes from and how you've created such a remarkable culture that delivers just these dramatic results. Yeah, no, I appreciate that so much, Sean. So I I, I have as many things floating through my head in response as you did in formulating that question. Um, I will say that our organization was founded um, centering excellence. And um, kind of the cornerstone or hallmark of Compass's early days was just being a really high quality, um, high standard bearing organization, um, delivering the best possible services to people who deserve the best possible services and often were not receiving them by our social safety net. So our culture, the early stages of Compass's culture were really centered around um, delivering high quality services to families, um, and particular, and and you know because they should just have access to high quality services and resources. But in particular, families experiencing poverty often interact with systems that are dignity stripping and are unforgiving and are infantilizing. And we wanted to have a completely different experience. So you know. From our founders, you know, from the very beginning, we hired people who had passion, um, compassion, right? Um, one of our amazing staff members, mem- members coined the term, you can't spell um, compassion without compass. Um, so that that is the centerpiece of our work, a, a deep fundamental belief in people and an interest in investing in people and trusting them and trusting that they're experts in their own lives. 
Um, so I think that that is one of our fundamental values and it undergirds everything we do. And so we had steadily and slowly built a reputation of being a very solid organization um, that really centered people's voices in our work. And when I was brought on, we were at this moment, I started at Compass as chief strategy officer before I came, became CEO. And one of my charges was to help scale this program and scale our work in leaving very much intact our strong outcomes, um, this culture of client-centeredness, um, our culture of learning. And that also requires resources. So one of the things that helped us do this was um, an investment from a social impact investment over multiple years that gave us really the bandwidth to think as big and to execute as big as we were thinking. So, you know, I want to, it's not just about nonprofit leaders because I think nonprofit leaders often think big, but oftentimes we're not given the resources to execute as big as our thoughts. And so to the funder community, there has to be that allowance for um, big, bold, ambitious thinking. And with that, this space for failure as a tool for learning. Um, and we, you know, developed this intense culture of learning and setting norms about celebrating knowledge failure. Um, you get to change your mind. Um, you know, one of the things that we learned and turned into a mantra. We learned it from um, Anna, a person named Ann Mae Chang, who has a fantastic book called Lean Impact. We fall in love with the problem, not the solution, because solutions are transient. They are you know, impacted by the environments and, and, um, and they can be limiting, but we want to double down on what our problem is and often redefining that problem. So we are coming up with the right solutions that work in the right time. So those are some of the things that we live by in an organization um, that really help us have a big vision for impact. And then thinking about um, how scale, you know, the different ways you can scale, right? And, you know, we provide direct services to individual families through the channel of affordable housing and through relationships with public health, with, with affordable housing providers. Um, and we recognize that, that that kind of system, that ecosystem, there's a ton of complexity, a ton of bureaucracy. So that offers us opportunity for scale, probably more growth than scale, and there's a difference. And that may be limited. So another way we've been approaching the work is, okay, as we become better in the work we do and we learn lessons and build, build our internal capacity, can we support other organizations? Because we're not going to partner with every housing provider that can deliver this service to families, but how can we leverage our learnings to make them better? So we've built a learning online community platform called FSS Link. Um, that, you know, we had some very modest goals. Just could we get a, a couple hundred folks to sign up and get access to newsletters and an online discussion board and some resources we would post. Um, and that was in June, 2019 when it launched FSS link now has, you know, nearly 2000 subscribers nationally, um, paid membership. We are, you know, providing a ton of very specific resources to help folks be better at that work, at their work. Um, and again, it's a place for us to push out the things we learn because it's not enough for us to sit and pat ourselves on the back about how well we're doing in supporting families. We want to help others to be well too. Um, another big part of our kind of scale and impact journey again has been on the policy 
side. Um, you know, we joke that we've gone from being, you know, seventh person off the bench or junior varsity to varsity. And now, you know, seventh off the bench, just to use a basketball analogy to like a starter, because if we don't change the conditions under which this work happens, then we'll always have limited scale opportunities and impact. So we want to kind of identify and knock down those policy barriers that make it hard for us to do our work and hard for our families to build assets. So that's been a big growing part of our work and um, how we think about impact. And then I'll add another piece is, is really technology. Um, March 11, 2020 is when we shut our doors, closed our doors um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we, the funny thing is, before that, we had we were launching, planning the launch of a remote service pilot. And then the world, the universe gave us the ideal laboratory <laughs> to test all of our remote service theories because we were trying to understand, could we do our financial coaching work and service delivery work to families in a completely remote environment? We wanted to understand, you know, costs. Um, can we maintain the same or better outcomes? Could we maintain same or better outcomes in terms of client satisfaction? Um, and so now we had, you know, this right laboratory to test all those things. Could we enroll families in our programs, right, through the distance? So we started building this enrollment tool with the help of Next Step. And I just have to thank you, Sean, for helping us think about how to resource this work. Initially, we were going to go pay a big consultant a ton of money um, and to build some opinionated thing that may not really give us what we wanted. But at that moment, we learned how to start small and iterate, iterate, like think big, but start small in terms of the product and then let the end user, let the clients help shape the product. So through this iterative, iterative process and constant testing and pressure testing. Um, and, you know, since then, we've built this amazing tool that has helped grow, you know, help us increase enrollment 200%, 300%, speed up the process. Families can do it from their phones. You know, we have this amazing story um, when we first started to, in our early days of, of testing, when we had our prototype and we were sharing with others, like, one of our clients told us she did it in a passenger seat of a car. And the enrollment process before then, like you would have to go and do a workshop and then submit an application in person and sign it. And that means for our families, taking off from work, finding childcare, catching public transportation. And like, why are all these barriers up? And these are things that we have control of. So we're like, we always think about how can we make the, um, the, a frictionless process or as reduced friction as possible. And so we wanted this portal where they could both kind of be oriented to the program, understand how it works, get to see testimonials and stories from folks who've been through the program, um, sign, review, and then sign all the documents they need to evidence their enrollment, and then schedule an appointment with their financial coach. And we built this amazing tool that allows them to do all of those things. And now we're at the stage now that we, you know, we move from our prototype to our MVP now to like our full enterprise um, product. Now we're thinking about how to license it so that others can get access to this um, phenomenal tool. So it's just been an amazing journey 
Um, you've been a terrific support as our strategic product manager and our guide along the way, and even as a developer. <laughs> and um, and we, you know, it's just a terrific story of how you can really leverage technology to amplify your impact and also accelerate um, that impact over time. So this is this is what Compass is. We're a learning culture. We, you know, every member of our team has this sense of try, fail, test, iterate, learn at the end of the day. Um, that's, that's what matters to me at the end of the day, that we are just trying new things all the time. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacrosanct. Um, we always are looking for ways to, to do our work better and be better for the families who deserve better. Amazing. Just so eloquent. Thank you yet again. And the, the culture is infectious. So you can hear it, right? I was I was on a call where we're with the Compass team uh, recently, as recent as this week. And one of the team members was, once they learned what it was going to be, the work that they were going to be doing at Compass, the way they described it is like, I can't not do this work. Like, I have to yeah. do this. This is so important and such a good fit for me and everything and everything about what I want to do. And just like, I hear that stuff all the time from your team. And I know that is a huge component of your leadership and the team that you've built and all the amazing people at Compass, the way that you think about solving these problems on such a scale to drive amazing impact. And it's just been an honor. Thank you so much for the opportunity, number one. And you know, being able to witness these transformations, but do it with the organization is one of the coolest parts, right? Mm -hmm. Like you described, right? Technology and software can be intimidating because there's so many moving pieces. It's a whole world, right? And if you don't live in that world, it, it can be scary. Because a lot of people have spent a lot of money and time and not gotten a lot of great results. What's been really cool about some of the resources you've shared, like Anne May Chang's Lean Impact and the process that we follow to kind of get to where we are as an organization, is you can do a lot with a little. You can go really far by just doing like quick and dirty stuff, right? You can build prototypes, you can test them, you can incorporate your team in the process, you can do interviews with clients and customers. And that's been really special to make sure that we move as quickly as we can. We do the we make the most, most effectiveness out of the resources that we have to drive impact, which is what matters most, right? Like put our dollars where it's going to have most dramatic impact for the people that matters most for. And that's been an absolute honor to be able to do that with you. So I thank you for that opportunity. I'm very excited about where we're going. Hearing the results have been super exciting from the folks that have been using it and the, the families they've been experiencing with, but you know, being able to increase enrollment up to 300%. Um, with less than half the time has been, you know, a dramatic transformation for the people we've been talking about. So that's been super cool. And now we're focused on, you know, the other opportunities, like you mentioned, like licensing it to other organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Sharing the ability to drive impact for these other organizations who have similar challenges and moving on next to solving the other bottlenecks. Like how do we, how do we build a tool to increase the leverage of our coaches to help this many, you know, this new wave and, and increased volume of clients. So the story continues, right? The bottleneck never goes away. It just moves. And now I'm excited about that as well, too, because we can continue to follow that process all the way home. Um, so it's been an incredible opportunity and I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, I, and thank you for being here and sharing this story and your time with me as well, too, to help, you know, inspire others who are hoping to do the same thing. And it's just um, Compass is the best example I can think of in terms of what, it, you know, what you want to do at an organization like Compass and uh, what's possible in terms of yeah. the investments that you make and the strategy that you take and 
a better understanding that and for others to have the opportunity to learn from you, I know it's going to be really valuable for a lot of people. So again, uh, thank you so much, Marquita. I've got a couple of questions for you before I let you go and feel free to share any other insight you have yeah. as well too. My first question before I let you go is, you know, where can people go to learn more about the Compass Working Capital Organization, get more involved, help with, you know, whatever way that they can. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Sean. So folks can who are interested can go to compassworkingcapital.org. Um, we've actually just published our seven-year strategic plan and refreshed mission and vision. So you'll get to see um, our vision for the future and how we plan to continue to grow as an organization um, and, and you know, support our work and lean into being an impactful organization over the next several years and the, you know, the kind of different segments of work and how we intend to drive them. We have posted it in an interactive way so that um, it feels a little fun. There's some clicking that you can engage in, but for folks who just like an old school narrative, we have our strategic plan perspective um, in PDF format as well. So that's a place where folks can learn more about our work. Um, and then definitely sign up for our newsletters and our mailing list. We love to grow our stakeholder community. Um, a big part of our stakeholder community are graduates and um, current clients of our work. Um, but we want more folks nationally to join us um, in, in, in our movement and helping us to drive this work forward. I love that you mentioned um, that our work is really about um, expanding bottlenecks, right? Um, because I think that. This is something that it can be replicated in all parts of our social safety net. And you think about all the ways that folks are trying to um, look for solutions to those problems, or they first need to see them as problems in the first place, right? Why, you know, why are we making it so hard for people experiencing poverty to get access to resources? It should not be as expensive as it is to be poor. Being poor in America. Um, is not just hard because there is a lack of resources. It's hard because we make it we make it expensive and we make it difficult to get access to those resources, right? And so, you know, we all need to reexamine the folks who are gatekeepers or who have access to resources that people experiencing poverty could benefit from. Need to look at all of their processes from start to finish and sit down across from a recipient of those services and just do a walkthrough. When we first built the enrollment portal with Next Step, we were doing, you were leading us through these moderated sessions where, you know, it was the, I, I joke and say it was kind of like the MacGyver tape and paperclip version of the enrollment portal before we built out the big fancy thing that became our enterprise solution. But I love that, like the idea of starting small to learn um, while maintaining the big idea. And it was so cost effective. It was insane. And I kept saying, wait, are you sure this is the budget? When talking with our director of innovation, George Reuter, he's like, yeah, this is the budget. It's not that much. Well, all right then. But it, it, it gave us so much learning to have um, our teams sit down with our clients and just watch as they use the tool or even through Zoom, record how they use the tool and get a real-time feedback on what worked, what didn't make sense, what was confusing, basically start, stop, continue. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What we should we continue? Um, and we did that and that just increased our learning. And then you see the evolution of the tool. I think there's a there's a, a brand of folks out there who think that like they can just solve poverty with technology. And that's crap. 
I think technology has a role in reducing inefficiencies in how we deliver poverty disrupting services. So it can serve as an, it can be an intervention, but it's not in itself, it's a, a solution. It helps to amplify solutions. It helps to um, it, it incre increase the impact of solutions or the efficiency of solutions. And so to be clear as an organization, Compass welcomes technology, but we never we we but we never see it as an in and of itself. We want it to be a support for the work we do, and we want it to enhance the relationship with people, not supplant the relationship with people. And I, we feel like you've been you you've known that you've been along with us in that journey and have that same perspective. We never just want to introduce a tool for the sake of introducing a tool. It's always understanding what's the value. To families, what's the value to us and our team, um, and ultimately, how does it help us support our impact story? Well said. So much, so much insight there. That's really valuable about how to really harness the the potential and really the strengths of software and technology. Yeah. Because there are traps to fall into, which you've described so well. Where it's technology doesn't make up for a broken or a missing process. You have to have mm -hmm. a process first and foremost. That's fundamental to everything that you're doing. But technology can help you do it faster, more cost-effectively, more efficiently to reach greater scale if you leverage it the right way, right? You don't need to go down those rabbit holes. You don't need to spend a lot. You can do a lot with a little. So if you feel yourself spinning your wheels or getting stuck and, you know, budget overruns and it's taking too long and stuff like that, if you're having, experiencing any of that kind of stuff, you're doing it wrong, right? Like this is the perfect example of how you can move quickly, iterate, test, get feedback, and then ultimately wind up with something relatively quickly and cost-effectively that starts delivering results almost immediately, which was the most exciting part of the project. And now it's gotten even more exciting as we're figuring out kind of how to scale from there and other people, other organizations taking notice like, hey, we have that challenge too. Can we gain access to it? So it continues yeah. to snowball from there, which is great. And then once, you know, once we get an opportunity to catch up there, we can button up everything that we want to and add the extra features. But it's important for it to be driven by, as you mentioned in the beginning, right? Fall in love with the problem, right? We don't want to lead with a solution. We want to we want to fall in love with the problem and understand how we can help best. And like you said, technology can play a role in that, but it isn't of and in itself the solution. So excellent wise words for sure in terms of like how to leverage these strategies. And then uh, last question I have for you, Marquita, is uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Thank you for that, Sean. So um, we are interested in folks who want to be part of this journey with us. Um, I think the best way to support us is at, to amplify our work. So when you see us posting on LinkedIn uh, and other platforms, limited platforms, um, but definitely repost, share, um, you know, if you, you know, talk to your lawmakers, talk to your policymakers and, and, and help them think about the role that asset building can play in our anti-poverty work. Oftentimes, anti-poverty work, work is hyper-focused on income and income is important. And we often talk about, you know, when we talk about poverty and who's poor, we talk about deficit and in income and income poverty. You know, I'm from Philly. Philly has the unenviable position of being like the poorest big city in America. And they talk about our, you know, income poverty rate around 25%. It's been hovering there for the last 10 or 15 years or so. But the asset poverty rate is over 40%. And that is a conversation that's not being had. And we want more people to have that conversation because it tells a bigger story about who's experienced financial challenge. 
Um, and it means different resources need to be brought to bear to help um, reduce those challenges. So um, that's really helpful. And obviously phone um, donors, individual donors, institutional donors who want to help us with this seven year strategic plan. Um, again, it's filled with ambition and practicality. We want to keep our heads to the sky, but our feet on the ground. We want to, you know, it's very much grounded in our values and our belief in our sense of impact. Um, but it is ambitious because um, we want to move the needle. We want to grow our direct service by 4X um, and we want to make major shifts in the policy landscape and really get to that opt-out enrollment that we named and move from this current opt-in model. And that takes some big changes um, you know, at the Department of Housing and Urban Development and be able to test opt-out. We've tested on a small scale, but we want to test it on a big scale. Remember, we're a learning organization, so we're not just saying flip a switch and have everybody kind of enroll in this program tomorrow. We want to understand cost and feasibility and, and outcomes and impact. Um, so we just need the opportunity to do that. And thankfully, there's some folks um, within the federal agencies and members of Congress who have been supportive of this work. And we just need them to help help us move it forward and get us to a place where we can start to really test opt out on a growing scale to understand if this is this could present a completely new model for thinking about the delivery of subsidized housing. So I invite folks to go to our website to learn more um, and then reach out if they have any questions and want to be part of this journey with us. Amazing. Thank you for sharing, Marquita. And I can't say enough good things about the Compass organization, your leadership, your team, everything from anyone who may be listening to, if you want to get involved and become a member or a part of such an incredible mission and work for an amazing team, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Uh, the Compass team never fails to disappoint. And it's always <laughs> so exciting to work with them because they're so energized and amped up about all the incredible work that they're doing and all the way to funders and sources of donation as well, too. If you want your dollars to go to a good cause and you want to see dramatic results, you need to talk to Marquita ASAP <laughs> because I've seen such remarkable things happen at the Compass Working Capital Organization led by her leadership. So um, can't say enough good things. Marquita, it's been an absolute honor working together. And I know this is just the beginning. I'm, I'm super excited to see what the future holds and uh, you know, for others to dive into your seven-year plan as well, too, because there's some really exciting stuff in there. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your incredible experience and knowledge with both myself and our audience. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate your support tremendously, your support as a partner in this work um, and in just in amplifying our work. Thank you so much. And thank you to your audience for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double in less than half the time, I'd encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io forward slash impact.